chapter 2 this morning, the first four verses, the message is entitled, An Urgent Invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how clear it is. And yet, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. Lord, this morning I pray that we as believers, as your children, would would gain a new urgency about this great salvation, this awesome gospel that we have in our possession. Realizing again, it's the only hope for the world that we might be faithful in sharing it, being a reflection of your glory and your love. And Lord, I pray for those who are here that do not know you as Savior. Lord, maybe having a form of knowledge but no power, maybe having a religion but no personal relationship. Lord, this morning, you might break down those barriers. Give them that gift of faith to be able to trust you, that you would draw them to yourself. They might know you, and that you might know them for all eternity. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. John MacArthur gave a little introduction to this passage of Scripture, saying... Hell is undoubtedly full of people who are never actively opposed to Jesus Christ, but simply they neglected the gospel. Such people are in view here in these four verses. They know the truth. They even believe the truth in the sense that they acknowledge its truthfulness, its rightness. They are well aware of the good news of salvation provided in Jesus Christ, but they're not willing to commit their lives to him. So they drift past the call of God into eternal damnation. This tragedy makes these verses extremely important. And urgent. If you went to your doctor, we have doctors in our church, and you went to your doctor and they said, We've done the tests, you have cancer, it's going to kill you, but we have a cure that's 100% effective. We urge you, take the medicine. You say, Well, yeah. But if you weren't convinced of the danger of the disease, maybe you might let it drift by. We know as believers, the Bible teaches that only God, the Holy Spirit, can show a person their lost condition. Most people, except for silly people, would admit, yes, I'm a sinner. The difference between those that are lost and those that are saved and those that belong to God and those that don't are those that have been convinced of their own lost condition. So much in our Christian culture is about, in America, is just about, well, hey, I go to church and I do these good things. Maybe you even compare yourselves to other people and say, well, at least I'm better than them. So I'm pretty sure it's all going to kind of balance out. You see, you have your standard and God has his. It's like the little fellow about four years old came and told his dad, Dad, I finally made six foot. And his dad said, well, that's good, son. How'd you figure that out? I made my own ruler. A lot of people doing that. But the Bible says there's only one standard. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard is Jesus Christ. That is perfection. He fulfilled all the law. And then he took our place on the cross. At the very last, after he'd suffered separation from the Father, he cried out, 
it is finished. All the work of salvation was completed to the cross. That is the gospel. Jesus died in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He was made to be sin who know no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So when you come to Christ, you don't get a clean slate. You get the record of Jesus Christ. What amazing grace. And yet in this congregation that the writer is writing to, these Jewish people, there's a mixed multitude just like there probably is today. I don't know hearts. God does. People may be a member of this church and lost on their way to heaven. You may have all kinds of religion in your background and in your mind you have your own standard. Well, I think I'm okay. I'm hoping I'll get there and slide under the, slide under the door. I want you to know something. The Holy Spirit does an examination on every person that comes into the world. And the examination is the same. You have a disease that will kill you and take you to hell. It's called sin. You didn't, you didn't sin to get it. You were born with it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, when Adam chose sin, death passed upon all men. You're born with it. The proof, everybody sins, everybody dies. But there is a cure and that is Jesus Christ. And right in the middle is this wonderful study on angels. Now, Christ is being compared to angels, and he's greater than angels, but I loved being able to take the opportunity a couple weeks ago and just study that the, the whole universe is filled with these powerful, wonderful creatures that God created. Dr. Bookman says that you have people that are looking out for you, these, these angels, it says in the last verse of chapter 1, they are sent to minister salvation. Some of you just keeping you alive because God has set his affection on you, he has to keep you alive and you're always testing them. Sometimes your angel has to sit down and take a break, right? Take it a breather, right? You remember back in your life when something happened, there's no explanation, God just preserved you and later you came to Christ. That was the angel's. But right in the middle of that study of angels, he stops and he gives an invitation. Now, we know that we can't save anybody, and I can't talk anybody into being saved. So any amount of pressure from me is not going to help, and we don't do that here. But what I will bring is the Word of God. I will bring the truth. Because Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to anyone who will believe and you may be here this morning like those in that congregation of Jewish people that up here they gave assent, but they really hadn't come to the place in their life where they committed their life to Christ. As a result, you may say you're a Christian, but you're still moved by every wind that comes along. Worry, stress, and somebody will say to you, well, the Bible says you can trust God. Well, yeah, 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 but in your thinking your mind, I know that's the Christian thing, but I live in the real world. Hmm. Paul talked about that. He says, none of these things move me. And yet there is a current that would pull us away from God. And the, the message here is urgent. And he says to these people that are on the border, they, 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 they get it here, but they haven't committed their life to Christ. You see, you may have even said a prayer. Maybe somebody led you in a prayer. There are, there are many of us that we're so excited and so 
this, this message is so urgent that we might step over the bounds and say, hey, just say this prayer and you're in it. So you said the prayer. But there was no work in your heart. There was no desire. You didn't know you were lost. Hey, well, I want to go to heaven. And like pliable in, Christian, in Pilgrim's Progress, oh, hey, the thought of heaven is better than the thought of hell. But really, you haven't counted the cost. And the current of life is going to pull you away from salvation. You see, the gospel's not going anywhere, but the currents of life will pull you away. In the very first verse of Hebrews 2, the writer of Hebrews says, For this reason... Well, what is the reason? The reason is Christ. In the whole first chapter, he's called the son and heir of all things, the creator of the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of the divine nature, the sustainer of the universe, the purifier from sin, the one who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is worshiped and served by angels. He's anointed above all others, the Lord of creation, the unchangeable, everlasting God. This is is who Christ is, who could possibly reject him? So because of this, for this reason, because God has given his only begotten, the only one that will do, the only way he has given his only begotten son, we must listen. We should pay much closer attention because this is God speaking. Not only did he give us the message and the promise that he would come, then he sent his Savior God in the flesh to walk among us, to demonstrate his holiness, his perfection, and then take our place on a cross. Innocent Lamb of God suffered and died for you and I. And that, that sacrifice is not just generic, it is personal. And if you reject it, you will give personal account of what you did with Jesus Christ one day. Personally, you will stand before God. For this reason... We should pay much closer attention. Maybe you tell your children. I know I've told my, my children many times growing up, hey, hey, you've got to pay attention. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe they got hurt because they just weren't paying attention. I know when I was coaching football, we'd tell those fellas, hey, when you're playing football, you've got to pay attention. You can't just think the play's over because if your head's not on a swivel and you're looking, some guy just for fun will come along from the side and take your head off. you got to pay attention. And God from heaven says, listen, this is the most important thing for you to pay attention to. Your eternal destiny rests on what you do with Jesus Christ. He has spoken. He's not going to say anything else. He's not going to do anything else than what he's already done. Pay attention. Because there are many distractions. A distraction is the thing that prevents someone from giving full attention. Just a distraction. These aren't even the currents. These are just things that cause us to look at something else and think about something else and pretty soon the opportunity is gone. And I don't know when the opportunity ends for you. The church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 was rich and increased with goods and thought that we have need of nothing. And yet Jesus looked at them and said, no, no, you are poor, blind, and naked spiritually. You need some eye salve. You need some clothing. You need to get down on your knee and ask for God to help you. And he said, behold, I stand at the door. He was outside that church. They had religion. They had the knowledge of God. 
They even gave God lip service, but their heart was someplace else. Except for a funeral or time in church, God was not in all their thoughts. Not there. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. But one day God may stop knocking. doesn't mean your life's over. just might mean you don't think about it. And one day you'll stand before God and he said, remember when you were thinking about it? That was me and you missed it. You drifted away. You got distracted. You took your eyes off, thought you'd have another chance. What are the distractions? I believe the distractions are found in the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, it says, When anyone hears the Word of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. That's the seed falling on the roadside. And maybe before even, you know, oh, you heard the gospel, didn't mean much to you. You got distracted by life and you just moved on. Or the seed that falls among the the thorns. The man hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and becomes unfruitful. Just distracted by the busyness and the business of life. Worries, time pressures. I don't have time for this. I've got to focus on this. We have many times people come by the church. They're on I-80. They're going someplace else, and they're out of money, and they need help. And they're desperate. And so he said, well, what about your family? Oh, no, I can't stand my family, and they can't stand me. There's a problem. I know if I was on the road and had trouble, first place I'd call is my church family. I'd say, hey, because we have each other's back. Many people don't have that. And so we often try to share the gospel with them. Most of them say, yeah, what I'm interested in is some some gas. Getting to the next place. The most important thing in in their life is the destination of their soul, and they're not concerned about it. God's not in their thoughts. It's just, what can I get from you today? That's just the worries of the world, the stress that the world brings In Luke chapter 14, there Jesus gives invitation to those that they they just think they're in. They're in the kingdom because they're Jews. So Jesus gives this little parable, and he says, there's a king that has a great banquet. And he goes out to invite people to come, and they alike begin to make excuse. The first one says, I bought a piece of land, I need to go out and look at it. I don't know when the last time you bought a piece of land not looking at it. Sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? Well, I'm just busy. I, got, I have something more important to do. Another one says, I bought an ox, and, and I need to go prove it. And I got a tractor. I need to go drive my tractor. That's basically what it's saying. But the king has invited you to his banquet. Now, this is why I married a wife. Now, listen, I don't know a wife that doesn't like to go to a banquet. Not cook herself, not clean up. That that invitation shut down for her by her husband. No, no, no. I've married a wife. I really don't have time for one of those things. Those are just the cares of life. I have family responsibilities. I have business. I did this, and so I I don't. Maybe later I'll have time for God. And they drift past the opportunity by those distractions. And to you, you may seem so important. I'll give God a thought later. But God not, might not be knocking then. You may not have tomorrow. 
And there's the currents that don't, don't drift away. Again, it's not the gospel that's going anywhere, but the, the currents of this world. If you've gone swimming the ocean at a place where people are supposed to swim, there are normally signs, aren't there? Be cautious of the riptides. There's different kinds of riptides. There's the kind that come up suddenly because of a storm, because of wind and, and the way the, the water's moving. And maybe there's not normally a current there, but all of a sudden it just pulls them out to sea. Maybe there are currents that are there all the time because of the way the geography of the, the ground underneath. Or maybe it's seasonal. But people die. And when you're in those, often you don't feel them. It's all the ocean around you, so you don't notice it. And all of a sudden you realize, hold it, shore's getting kind of far away. There are currents in this world that will pull you from the gospel because everything about this world is contrary to the gospel. First of all, there's just the world system. John, or Jesus spoke in John 16, 33, These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. Take courage, I've overcome the world. In 1 John 2, 15, Do not love the world. Know the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in. For all is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. All kinds of currents that pull at us that say, no, this is what's important. This is what's important. I know in, even in Christian circles, what's so important is your kids get involved in sports. They gotta be involved in sports. Anything wrong with sports? Not unto themselves, there's not. I think there's things to be learned there. The Apostle Paul said, bodily exercise profiteth a little, but godliness profits all things. See, even Christians running around, athletics are not enough for their children in Laramie. they got to be running to Fort Collins and running all over the place. Why? Because what's important is my son or my daughter become a champion in athletics. But what if that current pulls them away from Christ and they never think about God because they don't see it in your life? They honor what you honor. What you're honoring is athletics. Maybe it's hunting. You say, oh, pastor, we're in that season. You're getting us now. But they see what's important to you because you're not here to worship. Maybe it's entertainment. But the world has its system. Maybe it's just what the world thinks of you. Because that's contrary to the word of God. Years ago, I know we were worrying the city. Who let that church buy that property? It's right at the entrance to Laramie. What are they going to do? I'm sure they were sweating. They're just going to build some big, ugly metal barn. And, it'll, and then they begin to see the beams go up. Oh, they were so happy. Oh, you love us. Of course we love you. We love this city. We love the opportunity to be able to minister to this city. And so after it got done, a lot of, a lot of them came to see. And, oh, it's just wonderful. You built a building like this. It, it looks good at the entrance of our city. It makes us look good. So they came in, and you could almost see it on their face. Oh, it's you guys. What was it? That message? It was that message? Oh, okay, you, we'll have a, a moment of silence in the public arena, but don't mention Jesus' name, right? Don't cry out to the only one that can help. So what is the purpose of a moment of silence? I don't know. I say, why bother? Why bother? If you're not going to pray to God. But the world says, oh, no, 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 not that message. 
Every once in a while, Larry King, I don't know if he still is having those round tables, but he would have Franklin Graham or John MacArthur in to debate with a Muslim, a Jewish rabbi, a Roman Catholic priest, and a liberal Christian. And everybody else around the table has such latitude and love for one another. And they come to those two guys. And they say, so what you're saying is Christ is the only way. So all Muslims are going to hell. And Franklin Graham or John MacArthur and very few others in that arena say, unless they receive Christ as their Savior, they're going to hell. Wow. Oh, you can see the smirks and the, the rolled eyes. Oh, yes, they're so narrow. And I'm so thankful because you know who they care about most is those people around the table to tell them, no, 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 there's only one way. There's only one way. And our heart rejoices because somebody is still being a light in that arena. But the world says, oh, that's so uncool. That is so in the past that you would identify with a gospel like that. Maybe that's the current that's pulling you away. Say, listen, I, I see, I, I heard Jesus died on the cross for my sin, but, but if I committed to that, I mean, I would have no success in life. Listen, it's getting tougher and tougher to be in that arena. Talk to our medical doctors here. Talk to those that are in the public arena and see if there's not pressure just to be quiet and stop and just go along. Maybe on the outside you're looking and saying, well, that's, that's, quite, that's quite a thing for me to hold on to when all the world is against me. I've told you before about the great church father, Athanasius. They're having a big discussion about the deity of Christ and things that were so important to Scripture. And they challenged Athanasius. They said, Athanasius, can't you see? The whole world is against you. And Athanasius said, well, then Athanasius is against the whole world. That's where Christ has called us. He wants you to grow, to be a son of his, to be a daughter of his, that you can stand, if need be, on your own with him. But that's not the current of the world. But see, the thing you need to understand is any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim against the current. And the currents of the world pull you away. There's also the current of the flesh. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now the deeds of the flesh, verse 19, are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. You say, well, how can that keep me from coming to Christ? Very simply this. You may know enough about the gospel to know that God has called you to holiness. You can't sleep around like you used to in the world. You can't party like you used to in the world. Maybe you're involved in that homosexual lifestyle that seems to be so acceptable today. And you, you see, well, the Bible says that that's sin. That's right. And so you have to make a decision. Will I go on in the path this way? I will tell you, there's all different kinds of sin. God doesn't look at it differently but there's one end to sin, and that is death. The soul that sins shall die. We're all born with sin. One sin is not worse than the other, but it will all kill. But that flesh is so strong, it may just pull you out of the reach of the gospel. And you may never think about it again. Now, there are a lot of people that name the name of Christ. It's always amazing to me 
that Christian people will come from other place and they'll want to get married. And I used to just take for granted. They say they're Christians. Obviously, they're not listening together. Now I've learned I have to ask. And it's so amazing to me when, when they say, well, yeah, we're living together. Like, doesn't everybody? The Bible says it's sin. And I'm not saying they're not Christians because they are. But it's always an amazing thing. Oh, really? So, yeah, no, either you need to separate or get married. The Bible says it's sin. Sex outside of marriage is sin. And God hates sin. Is there a remedy? Yes, there's a remedy. It's Jesus Christ. Now, we say hormones is a dangerous drug at any age. Is it not? It can make old men act silly. It really can. And we look at teenagers and say, oh, they're Twitter-pated. Older people get Twitter-pated too and make some really stupid, sinful decisions. But the thing is, it's very strong. The old gospel song says, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. The flesh is very strong. And the current of that can pull you right past the gospel. And you think, well, I'll get back to it later. And maybe you never do. And then there's the devil. Probably the strongest part of the current. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the full armor of God, speaking to believers that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Because you see, for the unbeliever, there is no protection from Satan. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And what he's saying there is, you belong to Satan. You may think you're a free agent. You don't belong to Christ. You think you're, no, no, the Bible says, you are a son of Satan. And you do whatever he tells you to do. He wants you to play religious for a while. You can look like a Christian. But anytime he wants, he can bring death and destruction into your life. There's no protection if you don't have Christ. No protection. A son of disobedience. Just like all the worlds that is lost. That's a scary place to be. That's why John the Baptist warned those religious leaders who were just trying to get in line to get baptized and make a show. He said, who warns you to flee the wrath to come? It's a theme that John Bunyan picked up in Pilgrim's Progress and it, which rang in, in Pilgrim's ears before he came to the cross. Flee the wrath to come. Flee the wrath to come. Judgment is coming. But Satan can blind hearts. I've been at the bedside of people that are dying right here in Laramie, and, and I go in there and I think, well, now will be an opportunity. Even religious people. But the, the more I talk, the more I realize they don't know the Lord. And I can talk about the cowboys, I can talk about politics, and they just brighten up and they can talk about their party and what the cowboys are doing or what those coaches should be doing. But then I'll say, listen, I'd like to uh, spend some time in the Word now. And it blows my mind. It seems they have one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel, and they say this. Oh, I'm just so tired. I'm just, I, I really, I don't want to listen to that right now. And my heart is so heavy because it reminds me of 1 John chapter 5. It says, they belong to the Satan and they're asleep in his arms. Asleep in the arms of the evil. He just rocks them. Don't you worry about it. Don't you listen to those people that say, you just be here. Because there's a light at the end of the tunnel. 
Everybody's going the same place. And Jesus said about Satan, he's a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. And he doesn't hate just Christians. He hates everything God created. Even those that think they serve him, he hates them. And even you as a believer, if you begin to drift from the truth of the gospel, he can't get you back, but he can help you to live a defeated, discouraged Christian life where you even, even though you belong to the Lord, you begin to think, well, I can't share this because I'm so discouraged. Oh, he's got a game plan. He's got schemes. And he is powerful. For the believer, the only protection is fix your eyes on Jesus. Put on the full armor of God. If you're outside of Christ this morning, there is no protection. There is no protection. So the first reason to trust Christ is because it's Christ. Run to Christ because it's Christ. And God's not speaking another message. It's the only way. The second reason beginning in verse 2 there, is the certainty of judgment. Verse 2 says, if the word spoken through angels. Now, I just stopped there because he just mentions angels as he gives this interruption to give this urgent invitation. I had to go back and study again. When did the Old Testament law come by angels? Well, it says in Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned upon them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones at his right hand that was flashing lightning for them. So, okay, well, God came with the angels. But here's what it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. This is the one who was in the congregation of the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to them on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he receiving living oracles to pass on to you. New Testament gives us a little more insight. So he's saying that, I guess, you, you go back and study yourself, that when God was speaking to Moses on the mountain, and when the law was given personally to the whole congregation, before Moses went up to get it on the stone, God spoke to them. It's a little like in Revelation where there's an angel flying, preaching the gospel of the everlasting kingdom. And so God, I guess, this is what I'm taking from it, used an angel to do the talking for him. And then God wrote the tablets with his own finger, then gave it to the angel, and the angel came down and handled it to Moses. Now, I digress. That's not the main point. What he's saying is, if when the law was given by angels, it proved to be unchangeable. We live in this age that we just think, oh, well, this is what I think. Humanism is that man is the measure of his own existence. So you can determine, like the little boy with the, the ruler, what is truth for you. We live in this age that there is no right and wrong, right? We see the silly, awful decisions that even our Supreme Court is making. And you think God's worried about that? You think God says, oh no, they've changed the definition of marriage. What will I do? What does the Bible say about that? Because the world says, Psalm 2, they're still saying it, we will cast God's restraints from us. We will change the definitions. We will call evil good, and we will call good evil. The Bible says, he that sits in the heavens laughs. He will hold them in derision. Woe, you judges of the earth, you kings. You better kiss the sun. You better submit to the king, lest he become angry, and you die in your place. God says, as for me... 
I've set my king on his holy hill. God is still the ruler. The law is unchanged. We don't come to the law and say, oh, well, I'm glad that's for the past. I don't have to live holy lives anymore. I'm so thankful for grace. Paul warned about that. Grace is not licensed to sin. Grace is the power and the desire to please God and have victory over sin because Christ has won the victory for us. The law remains unchanged. The law still condemns. And James warns us, the half-brother of Jesus in the book of James, and he says, if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of all. Which means that people can't run around and say, oh, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm okay. James warns us, hey, the judge is watching. He's standing at the door. And if you break one part of the law, you're a breaker of the law. And the soul that sins shall die. He says, listen, you can be sure you need to repent because judgment is coming. If the, if the law that was given by angels is unalterable, it doesn't change, how much more when God sends his only begotten son and he speaks and he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. It's the certainty of judgment. That's the reason to repent. In Revelation 20, verse 11, John said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from, whom, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed unto man to die once, and after this comes judgment. Judgment is coming. And the doctor of your soul says, listen, you have the disease. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the only antidote for this disease. Flee the wrath to come. The last, the third reason to accept this great Amazing salvation is the supernatural confirmation of God's message. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed by us for those who, who heard, God also bearing with them witness with both signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The third reason for accepting Christ is the confirmation of God. The gospel was first given by Christ. He came and he spoke. And he said, you say, this is the law, but I say to you. So you say, oh, if I just commit adultery, that's sin. But Jesus said, no, no, if a man looks on a woman to lust after, God says guilty because he discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He goes past externals. And Jesus said, and I repeat again, 
I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That was Christ's message. He didn't say, I am a way. Choose a good one. He said, I'm the only way. Peter came and he preached in Acts. Acts 4.12. He said, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other option. Another option. There's only one message. There's only one way. And that's through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Have you applied it? Have you received it? Jesus' message was again, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. That is that conversation you have. In the Old Testament, it was the same as the New Testament. In the New Testament, Isaiah chapter 1, he said, come now, let us reason together. What does that mean? You need to have a conversation with God about your disease. You need to go to the doctor of your soul, the only one that can cleanse you and say, Lord, I am a lost in my sin. I can't make it. I deny myself. I deny my own righteousness. I need you. And then take up your cross and follow him. What does that take? That takes a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in life because left to ourselves, we human beings are so proud. We are so stubborn. We are so rebellious. We say, no, no. No God for me. I can do this. I just need to work a little harder. I can turn over leaf. After all, I got rid of alcohol. I can do anything. I got rid of this sin, so I am okay. I'll do it. Not only was the message of Jesus and the apostles, but it was the affirming miracles that came along with it. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 43. So then those who received the word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Can miracles happen today? No doubt. For the most part, it's not a part of the gospel because the gospel has been affirmed. It's been affirmed. And you see it in the changed lives of those around you that there is no explanation for outside of Christ. Because the Bible says if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. God comes in and changes your desires. He changes your want-tos. Do you still have a problem with the flesh? Yes, you do. But God is working your life, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. And the focus of your life is to work out your salvation. Not work for it, but that which God has put in the inside. God is giving you this life energy. It comes from Christ. Same DNA, same life, and your desire is to glorify God, not yourself. And there is no explanation And it is the greatest miracle seen today ever. It's the greatest miracle when God brings someone from darkness to life because it took the death and resurrection of his only begotten son. There's no explanation. That's why we don't make a big deal about putting pressure on somebody because we are amazed at this powerful gospel that God has placed in our hands. What do we do? We just share it. What is the gospel? That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. And he stands and he says, Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy, made, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for my burden is light 
and easy and you'll find rest for your souls. It's not found in church. It's not found in religion. It's not found in good works. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that relationship? Do you know him? Or will he say to you one day what he said he will say to those religious leaders, oh Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. Oh, you know, you were glad to have us. And he will say to them, depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Did he know about you? Of course he did. But you weren't part of the family. You didn't belong. You didn't belong to him. He says, be careful. Don't drift away. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. If you feel God knocking on the door of your heart, today make that decision. Your fear might be way past what other people think of you. Your fear might be as you look at other believers, you've seen their life change, and you might think, I don't think I have the power to walk that Christian life. Here's the good news. John 1, 12, as many received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, even the faith to believe is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. When you look at a believer and you say, I, wow, I don't think I could do that. Know this, neither can they. It's no longer them, but Christ that lives through them. That is the gift of the gospel. That is the grace. But while you live and breathe, while you have this opportunity, there will be no second chance once you pass out of this life. And forever, those that reject Christ will be living in regret and growing bitterness and hatred of God. They will be confirmed in their wickedness. Come to Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, for this warning, for this invitation that you stand ready to receive all sinners and your blood is powerful enough to wash any sin away. Lord, I pray that the words of the gospel would sink in our heart that we would not drift away. As believers, we would be renewed in the urgency of sharing the love of Christ with those that are lost around us, understanding that is their only hope. Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to walk in prayer as you prepare hearts around us and that we be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks about the hope that lies within us. Lord, that even in these dark times, Lord, you'd give us a great harvest that we might be found faithful in our time and our place and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.